0: Uh, so, are you are you guys all ready? Hello. Ethan, are you set up? Do I'm have to do set stuff? up. All right. I think we should kick off. Let's do this. I'm going to start recording then. Okay. I'm Brian Crescenti. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Dave Tech. This is Bits and Bricks, and today we're going to try something a little bit different.
1: Uh, That's really what we've been doing for all of these episodes, right, Brian?
0: Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Okay, well, maybe uh, more different, very different. Sure, I guess is the way I could put that. Okay, uh, I wanted to start this episode with a fun story, something that actually has absolutely nothing to do with today's topic. Okay, that is different. But why? I guess. <laughs> well, that is a great question, Ethan and Dave. Two demerits for not asking. Wait, we have demerits now. What? What? What house am I in? Yours. At least I'm not seeing you in mine. (laughs) So getting back to Ethan's question, we came up with the idea for today's episode months ago when we were brainstorming different topics for the podcast. I was doing my second favorite part of these things, basically researching the topic and going down every crazy rabbit hole I stumble across when I found a real doozy. Ethan, can you set the scene for me, help create this sort of audio landscape? Sure, sure. Uh, Where are we? We are in Cornwall. Okay, how's this? Actually, no, 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 not not in a town in Cornwall. We're actually, we're walking along the beach of that Southwest English county, making our way along the swash and backwash of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, how about something like this? Ah, nice, I like it. Yeah. But now drop in some kids for me. Okay, here. Perfect. Okay, so in Cornwall, like in many beachside communities around the world, people enjoy beachcombing, which is basically looking for bits of flotsam and jetsam that have washed up on the shore. Typically, they're on the hunt for things like colorful pebbles that you find, shells, the egg case of sharks or or rays that some people call mermaid purses, or maybe they're looking for a bit of sea glass, which is basically glass that's had its edges rounded down by the, the sand on the beach. But in 1997, those lucky few beachcombers in Cornwall came across something entirely different. They found tiny plastic flippers, spear guns, scuba tanks, and life jackets, all of them Lego elements. Oh, there it is. There's the link. Ah, I found it. Lego bricks. (laughs) Wait. No, no, wait. Hold on a second. It's not what you think. You got to give it a few more minutes. Now, uh, where were we again? Beach sounds, playing kids, surf, right? Ah, right, okay, but we need to shift things over a bit. Wow, nice job, Ethan, I didn't even tell you. I think I know where this is headed. Yes, it's headed to a cargo ship that in 1997 was making its way from Rotterdam in the Netherlands to New York when a rogue wave smashed into it. About 20 miles off the coast of Cornwall, And 62 shipping containers tumbled overboard. No,
2: I have seen rogue waves on the deadliest catch. They are terrifying. It's Uh, absolutely
0: terrifying. And 62 containers? Yeah, that's, I mean, those things are like the size of a mobile home. I mean, they're enormous. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who aren't uh, deadliest catch experts like Dave... (laughs) a rogue wave is something that can happen sometimes in the ocean. It's, it's basically this massive wave, this wall of water. That It has to be at least twice the size of surrounding waves. And they just sort of pop up out of nowhere and absolutely smash into ships. Scientists still don't actually know how they work. And it wasn't until recently, actually the past two decades that they actually believed that they existed. So there were these, I guess, these ship captains out there whose scientists were like, no, <laughs> what you saw didn't happen. It wasn't my fault. Not true. It was the rogue wave. Yeah, it's like hitting you, turning you. Well, so as an example, this particular rogue wave tilted the Tokyo Express mm-hmm. 60 degrees one way when it hit it and then 40 degrees the other way. So it literally <sighs> Rocked the ship to the point of catapulting these shipping containers straight into the ocean. So, some of these things float ashore in western Cornwall, England, in a place called Wolf Rock, mm-hmm. which is between Land's End and the Isles of. Silly? <laughs> I'm not making this up. (laughs) Silly like fun silly? Hmm. Maybe it's skelly. I think it's silly. The (laughs) Isles of Silly. So
2: nautical-themed Lego pieces spill into the ocean and end up at a
0: place called Silly. Yes. This sounds like a (laughs) children's book, Brian. I know. (laughs) It does. It really does. (laughs) Okay. So the spill, of course, attracts attention. And not just because Lego elements are washing ashore near Cornwall... People are starting to find them in the Netherlands, in France, Belgium, even Denmark, as if the bricks have some natural desire to return home. (laughs) I still have a hard time believing this is a real story. It's an Isles of Silly story. This Uh, story is ridiculous. uh, Yeah, so back to what I was saying at the beginning. This is really an interesting story. It's colorful. It's filled with these alluring coincidences and whimsical sounding town names. (laughs) But the fact is, it's not really a story about the Lego Group.
2: Yeah, it's a story about an act of God,
0: Brian. I mean, this could have happened to
1: anyone, right? I mean, any shipping company, Uh uh, I guess these random waves
0: can just tumble over containers at any point? Yeah, exactly. But what this little story time does do is it reminds us that the last thing the Lego Group wants is for its colorful creations to reach the wild, like the beaches of Cornwall. And that's what we're talking about today. How a company known for making toys designed to essentially last forever works to minimize its impact on the environment and make itself sustainable.
2: Because that's kind of the thing, isn't it, with Lego bricks is that they last, which is great. Like my nieces play with my Lego bricks. The Lego group says that 97%. Of all LEGO consumers hold on to their
0: stuff and pass it along, which I could vouch for. You know, you're right, Dave, but it's that 3% that the LEGO group worries over. And one of the things that fuels the company's deep investment in environmental sustainability efforts. And of course, being a LEGO group, the ways the company tackles these things is absolutely fascinating. It includes a massive effort to take in unwanted LEGO bricks and rehome them with teachers and schools around the United States like kindergarten teacher Jill Arbini, who found a secret place to talk with us about the impact of recycled Lego bricks in the middle of a school day
3: but I have deadbolted the door and turned off the lights so no one knows I'm in here.
0: (laughs) That's great. They're also investing in solar, wind, and even geothermal power, and perhaps most fascinating, working with Aaron Simon and the World Wildlife Fund.
4: Most people know us for our logo, the panda, right?
0: To create Lego elements out of, well, plants, as the Lego group reexamines
5: its relationship with plastic. My job essentially is to try and make our operations, so the way we make Lego bricks and the bricks themselves as sustainable as possible. Uh, And we have our ultimate goal is to really have zero environmental impact in both our operations and in the products, the bricks and the packaging. This is Tim Brooks. He's the vice president of environmental
0: responsibility at the Lego Group. And he was definitely the best place to start as we figure out all the ways the company is working to minimize their environmental impact on the world. He tells us that looking after the planet has always been a part of who the Lego Group is, going back to its foundation more than 90 years ago as a wooden toy company.
5: I think that started off with a very local theme. You know, how do we look after Billund and the the area around our factory and make sure that we don't throw waste out our front door of our factory, etc. But of course, as the world has grown and and we have... More connections across the world, and the company has grown, and the agenda has grown. But it was in the last 30 years that the Lego Group started to refocus that agenda into something more global. And if every company signs up to a science-based target, then we should keep the planet to no more than 1.5 degree warming. Uh, Why 1.5 degrees Celsius?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a, a very specific number, and it's apparently... A scientific line in the sand, a theoretical point of no return from which lasting changes can happen to the Earth that will change the way we live.
1: Exactly. And, you
0: know, those are often also called tipping points, and several have already been reached or passed. That's exactly what scientists say. And companies like the Lego Group are trying to do their part to make
5: sure that doesn't happen. We want to make sure that when people buy a a Lego product, that they know that they, you know, we are doing our very best to make it as environmentally neutral as possible. So the science-based target is one piece of that. Why that's so challenging is because it's across our entire, what we would call our entire value chain.
0: Tim pointed out that the company internally is already basically carbon neutral thanks to heavy investments in solar power that put panels on the roof of basically every factory and even on land around the factories. The LEGO Group's parent company has even invested in offshore wind farms and they're investigating geothermal energy. Basically hot water under the ground, right? Through these large sulfur hot pockets in the earth. Yeah, like they do in Iceland. But since the company is looking at everything, that means looking at where their plastics and cardboards come from and the emissions used at those suppliers. It also means adding new factories around the world, both to increase the speed to market of their sets, but also to cut back on the distance a product needs to be shipped. Like that's, that's probably the most important work they're doing as a company,
2: Right. But it's not the most obvious work. I think that might fall to the work they're doing with plastics and paper.
1: True. Everything has to do with plastic and paper. You think of the Lego set boxes
0: and, of course, the bricks. Right, Brian? Yeah, I mean, the Lego group, its core is plastic. And so instead of ignoring it, they've decided to, you know, really come up with some unique approaches to solving this issue.
2: Okay, I feel like I need to say that this conversation started with an interview with the WWF.
4: Most people know us for our logo, the Panda, right? Yes,
2: yes. So it's the World Wildlife Fund and Erin Simon, who is the vice president and head of plastic waste and business. And it's her job to work with companies and policymakers to think about the use of sustainable materials. Hold on a sec. Let me take a... (sighs) You know that's how you stop making those cracks, is you hiss like a cat. You go, (laughs) and then you just do it again. (laughs) Okay. One of the big groups Aaron Simon deals with is the Bioplastic Feedstock Alliance, or BFA. And that's basically a group of major companies that are figuring out how to make better use of something called bioplastics. Aaron pointed out that 99% of new plastics are currently made from fossil fuels, which is bad for the environment. But the thing is, plastic is likely not going away. So instead, this group looks at the science that's trying to advance the use of something called bioplastics or plant-based plastics. And this is where things get a little scientific-y?
1: Good word. Good word there, Dave. Is, is that... I don't think a, it's a word,
2: but it's good. It's scientific-y? scientific-y?
4: want to clarify here that we're talking about carbon. So carbon is what makes up plastic. It's chains of carbon. And the way I always think about it is old carbon versus new carbon. So carbon that comes from oil is hundreds of thousands of years old, right? It took a long time to come into existence where Carbon that comes from plants is new carbon, right? That's carbon that can be replenished um, year over year if we allow the planet to replenish that crop or that resource. But at the end of the day, it's still a carbon chain.
2: So, in 2018, the LEGO Group started production on a range of more sustainable elements made from plant-based plastics, which were being sourced from sugar cane that you cannot eat. (laughs) That first push included leaves, bushes, and trees, which I feel like is super appropriate. Yeah, that was about two years after the LEGO Group joined the BFA as part of their efforts to use sustainable materials for all packaging and core products by 2030.
4: As a part of the BFA...
2: Remember, BFA stands for the Bioplastic Feedstock Alliance.
4: The LEGO Group's really been working to follow the guidelines that we have been putting out around sustainably sourced bioplastics. So when you have brands and organizations like LEGO Group out there sort of leading the way, pushing for and setting targets around moving to sustainable materials and sustainable sources, and then utilizing a platform like BFA to guide that progress is really helping us to sort of shift the way we think about where these materials are coming from.
5: That's something we're increasingly thinking about. This is Tim Brooks. We want to make our bricks from even better sources of more sustainable plastic. And there's two routes you can go. You can use bio-based plastic, which is you can grow the material, grow the the building blocks, excuse the pun, for the, the plastic. Or you can use recycled materials. And we're looking at both. So the one you mentioned there, the Plants from Plants, it is, we use about 20 materials in total across our full portfolio. And that is one of the materials we use. is called a material called uh, polyethylene. And we found another source of that that was instead of from fossil-based polyethylene, it's bio-based polyethylene. It comes from... Uh sugarcane that's grown in Brazil and we look at the life cycle of that as well. People often say, well, if it comes from Brazil, is that, you know, and shipped a long way, is that sustainable? But you look at the entire life cycle of it. You use it to make ethanol, and then the ethanol is used then to make polyethylene. We have about 150 different shapes made out of the bio-based polyethylene material. And so about 50% of our boxes, you'll find at least one of those shapes in today. And why do we use sugarcane? What's that all about? I mean, ultimately that particular project and that material is about a lower carbon dioxide source of material. So you can reduce the carbon dioxide emissions by about 20% when you use sugarcane. But of course, that doesn't say anything about the end of life of the plastic. And that's maybe the other one you want to, we can talk about is about using recycled plastics. We did sort of a bricks from bottles. So we did plants from plants and now we're doing bricks from bottles.
2: Brick is the big challenge that the company has, Tim said, because unlike those polyethylene elements, the bricks are made out of ABS plastic, which is a very rigid, stiff material. And the bulk of the LEGO Group's materials are made of ABS. And
1: ABS, isn't that the whole reason there's
5: clutch power?
2: Bingo. That's exactly it. And so to solve that, the company is looking at recycling ABS, which brings with it its own challenges.
5: Safety is really key in recycled materials. You know, where was it before? What was it in contact with? How could you prove it was safe for a child or an adult to play with?
2: So, as Tim mentioned earlier, I I feel like I'm starting everything with so. All right, so. You sure are. I'm going to put that in. I'm going to put that in. Needle sewing thread. Oh, boy. As Tim mentioned earlier, they're also testing out PET, or PET, which is what you'd find in a
5: soda bottle to see if it could be used to make bricks. We haven't rolled anything out. We have made bricks. They are in a lovely shade of gray at the moment. Um, We're looking at how we uh, color those bricks and we can make uh, you know a couple of thousands of those bricks at the moment. What we need to figure out is how do you go from a couple of thousand up to obviously millions of bricks, and how do you scale that production? You know, a couple of things we're looking at at the moment is both um, the source of the material. There's actually fifty percent of soda bottles get thrown out in the landfill today globally. So we think there's a good solid source there of material. One of the challenges when you're looking at new materials is the clutch. You know, it, it sounds obvious, but A brick has to be able to fit together so you can build Hogwarts castle or a rocket and put it on your shelf if that's your bag or take it apart if not um and... But critically, materials also change over time. Some materials can stiffen and shrink, and other materials can creep and flow. And also how it behaves at high temperatures and low temperatures, as I mentioned, when it's covered in butter, because kids often have butter on their hands. Okay, just an aside, I think it's hilarious (laughs) that the Lego group worries
2: over how butter interacts with Lego bricks, because little kid hands are just... So filthy and greasy.
5: So you're trying to figure out all of these different characteristics. You know, if you leave it in a hot car on a hot day, that could be 50 degrees Celsius, you know, on a cold car, you know, etc. So lots of things we're trying to figure out with a material like that when we haven't used it before, which is PET. We've never used that before.
4: At
3: The Lego Group, we're using plastic bottles to make happy prototype bricks. So far, our scientists have tested over 250 variations
0: of PET materials. So, just getting back to that butter and bricks. Butter fingers, butter fingers, <laughs> Butterfingers. Butterfingers. Covered in butter. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know about your household, Ethan. Yeah. You have more children than I have. Yes. But my child, I don't think, had butter-soaked hands when he played with his Lego bricks. <laughs> he was probably not allowed to because you're a very strict father. Huh? <laughs> like... <laughs> And
1: all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brian, at my table, my son often plays with Lego bricks at breakfast. And he's usually eating some kind of buttered toast. So, yeah,
0: I mean, th- that combo of butter and Lego bricks is legit. So, what you're saying is research Lego research is on top of this. They understand the product. Maybe they understand the European children. <laughs> <laughs> right. And butter. Their yes. love of butter. yes. <laughs>
2: Other than the butter experiments, another thing they've been rolling out are Lego sets
5: with paper instead of plastic bags. So we looked at lots of things. We went right back to basics. You know, obvious question, do we even need a bag? What's the bag all about? And uh, yes, we do need a bag. It helps build order. It stops pieces going missing. We then looked at boxes instead of bags and trays and tubes and, you know, you name it. And then we did lots of insights and say, well, if we've replaced a bag, is transparency is that important uh, to people? Because we thought it might be, and it turned out it it wasn't as long as it was clear what was you know labeled on the bag, what was inside it. That was important. Having the build order on the bag, then you know we quickly landed on paper. One of the benefits we found is that a lot of times kids weren't able to open the bags on their own. They needed scissors or a grown up or. You know, And you might know it yourself, if you try and open the bag, it sometimes it bursts open and the pieces fly out. Two things that came out of it is, one is being able to have a tear-off bag, so it's easy to open. A child can do it without any scissors or grown-ups. Many of the bags are standable, so they have what we call a gusset in the bottom of it. And that means you can stand up the bag, and then you can, if you're halfway through a build, you can pour the bricks back into the bag and roll the top down. And we can print great designs on it that we couldn't do with a, a plastic bag.
0: Yeah, I have to say, of all the things they're working on, this is the one that I am yeah. probably happiest about. Just the effort it takes to
1: make sure you don't lose any of the bricks when you put it back into the box, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, to think that you could put them in the bag that they were originally in and keep that same order, oh, it sounds
0: so great. I think Dave's opening a bag of potato chips. There's some Foley work for you. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I need.
2: It's literally
0: a Lego bag.
1: So uh, yeah, I mean, all of these different initiatives are amazing. They seem like they're going to have a huge lasting impact on the environment, but one of the initiatives I found most compelling is the one that also seems to be having a direct and big impact on people's lives today. And that brings us to Jenna Grubman, and ultimately the story about gifting used Lego bricks.
6: interviewed an educator from New York City, and he mentioned that some of his students were there when the boxes arrived, and they were able to help him open them. And he turned around and saw two of them with tears in their eyes. They were so excited. They hadn't used Lego bricks before. They hadn't had them in their home, and it brought tears to their eyes, which in turn, of course, (laughs) made him cry. And then as he's telling it, I started to cry. So, I, you know, I think it's that's just one story. We've heard there's many shouts of joy, kids just wanting to dump them out and get their hands right on them. So, again, like, there's so many elements to how these can be used, but, you know, the first piece, I think, is always just that excitement.
1: Jenna works for the nonprofit organization called First Book, which provides free books to educators around the country. First Book was established in 1992, but recently it teamed up with the Lego Group on the company's Lego Replay initiative, which cleans up and repackages donated Lego bricks to give to schools.
5: I'm super proud of that. Here's Tim Brooks again. The best Lego brick is the one that you keep playing with again and again and again. And I think people kept coming up to me at parties or whatever and saying, how do I recycle my Lego bricks? And I would say, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. I don't want you to recycle them. And they would say, well, you know, what are you talking about? I said, I want you to reuse your Lego bricks. Okay, so how should I do that? We did a lot of surveys around how people play with their bricks and we found that 97% of people actually know what to do with their bricks. They know to keep hold of them or to donate them. We said, well, so how do we go after the 3% of those people that maybe really hope they're not throwing them out, but let's go after that and let's let's make sure people know what to do with their Lego bricks when they're finished playing with them. And that was where the idea of replay came from, is like, how do we reuse and replay the bricks? So there's two benefits. There's an environmental benefit of reuse. And when you have a brick that is compatible and long-lasting and fits together since 1958 and is durable... 1958? Wait, That's the year that the first Lego bricks were released. And by the way, all bricks work together no matter what year they were created. You can reuse it as well, again and again and again. First of all, starting with the environmental piece, we know that when you reuse a brick, it's an 80% CO2 reduction than if you bought a new one. That was one part of it. And then the other part was, how do we then donate those bricks? So in the US or Canada, you go to our website, lego.com replay, print off a label, it's free. We pay all the postage. You find a shoebox or a big box, small box, fill all your Lego bricks in there, only Lego bricks. And then we clean them up and then we send them to charities. The
1: thing that's so neat about this is that it's helping in two ways, right? There's the environmental benefit of reuse and not throwing them away, but there's also the fact that these bricks are getting into the hands of people who can put them to better use.
5: And so far, the program has sent out 125 million Lego bricks. It's an enormous amount of bricks that we've sort of given out to children. And um, we get letters from... You know, we had someone from, a, unfortunately, from a bereaved widow, and this was her husband's Lego brick collection, and she just wrote the most emotional letter to say, thank you so much for giving these bricks another home. They were my husband's sort of really dear Lego brick collection, and I feel so proud that what was treasured to him is now in the hands of a children who maybe hasn't experienced Lego play or creative play before. And lots and lots of letters, both from people who give bricks to us, but also, who, of course, from people who receive them.
6: To be able to put something on the marketplace,
5: Here's Jenna again.
6: Where we have all of our books and resources for educators completely free. And then to attach the Lego name to it, it's just, they're gone in a heartbeat (laughs) every time we have them available. These Lego bricks, they give kids an opportunity to create, collaborate, experiment, and problem solve that are skills essential in STEM and careers for the future but they also really help for social and emotional learning. We see a lot of educators who utilize tactile manipulatives for all types of lesson plans. So it's not just STEM or it's not just for creativity side, but it's for public speaking, again, social, emotional learning. So this really fits into everything we're trying to do at First Book.
0: So, okay, I got, uh, Dave, as I know you're aware, and Ethan, I have a, a trash bag or two filled <laughs> with, with Lego bricks mm-hmm. tucked away. Uh, I'm going to save a lot of them. But I, I really do want to donate some of these. And um, yeah. I know, Dave, you were looking at the page and, and looking at how... Yeah. E- it's easy, right? Yeah, it's, it's very easy.
2: It's super easy. Like, they've basically taken away all of the friction you can imagine. Yeah. But there are some rules. Like Fight Club? We don't talk about that.
1: That's not... <laughs> We don't talk about that. All right, the first rule of LEGO replay you can only donate brick based toys. So, no LEGO clothing, keychains, storage containers, building instructions, packaging, utensils, small pets. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> just the toys also no electronic components or batteries so you can ship lego system stuff right duplo Mm -hmm. technic bricks and elements you can even send over minifigs and mini dolls or base plates but and this is important make sure you take all of the stuff apart don't send them these huge constructs dave please i'm sorry i know the good (laughs) news is that you don't have to clean it you know like remove all the butter, you just (laughs) pop it into a box, go to the LEGO Replay website, and print off a label and ship it off. So once the LEGO Group has, you know, completely sanitized them and cleaned them up. Debuttered. Debuttered, indeed. (laughs) They've debuttered them. Once they're cleaned up, they make their way to First Book.
6: We have been able to reach about 3,000 educators across the country with the BrickPlay boxes from the Replay program. And so that's over 91,000 kids and over 50,000 boxes of Lego bricks going out.
1: Now, among those who received bricks through the Replay initiative is Jill Arbini.
3: I am a kindergarten teacher in the Webster Grove School District in St. Louis, Missouri. I have deadbolted the door and turned off the lights so no one knows I'm in here. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's hopefully great. it'll be okay. So I grew up with Lego bricks, of course. My brother was a huge brickhead. I played with Lego bricks growing up. My boys play with Lego bricks now. And so when I started teaching 22 years ago, um, the teacher who had left in front of me had retired and taken most of her stuff with her and had left me with a box of Lego bricks. And I had this one box, this small box that has sustained me my entire career.
1: That's not a lot of bricks for her classroom. And while Jill does get $200 a year to spend on things for the classroom...
3: It doesn't go very far. It pays for our consumables, our construction paper, our paint, those kinds of things.
1: But one day she spots something on social media about First Book. And it turns out they also offer classes.
3: Through First Book, we were able to take a... Biodiversity class with the Lego group um, with my kindergarten students last year. And it was a great course about climate change and how to protect animals and the environment. And afterwards, I received an email from First Book offering Lego bricks through Lego Replay. And I thought, well, okay, you know, a little, little box of bricks. That's great. That's exciting. We'll love that.
1: And Jill was more than a little surprised when the shipment from First Books showed up at her doorstep.
3: When they dropped them off, (laughs) the delivery man came up. and He's like, where do you want the boxes?
1: And she said, what do you mean the boxes?
3: And then he opened up his truck. Wow, okay, 30 boxes. Well, I guess just bring them into my living room. And we opened them up. And inside, we had Lego brick separators. We had minifigs. We had wheels, windows, doors, all sorts of like car components, axles and and things that would allow kids to build things that really move. I, I was just floored at the diversity of the Lego bricks that were in these boxes.
1: Fortunately, the massive shipment of Lego bricks arrived over the summer. So Jill and her husband, who is also a teacher, and their seven-year-old set about sorting through the hall for the coming school year.
3: We spread out a huge sheet on our living room floor, and uh, we bought a cart to put the Lego bricks in to sort them. And so we completely and totally filled the cart and still had 15 boxes left. And so... (laughs) We wrapped them up in saran wrap and took them to school so they didn't spill. And then we brought the rest of them up. And I opened up an old sensory table.
1: In the days before COVID, the sensory table was something you'd find in a kindergarten. It was usually a table with water or sand on it, something for the kids to touch and feel and play with. But some schools, including Jill's, packed up all of those tables.
3: But I had an idea and I dumped all of our extra bricks into the sensory table and took the lid and covered it in Lego bricks base plates so that the students had a place to build. And we bought some old-fashioned like ice scoops and some baskets. And we will, multiple times a week, fill up our baskets at the sensory table and we'll put the big lid down on the floor to build. Um, just a few weeks ago, we were learning the story of the Billy Groats gruff. <laughs> And the students were building examples of bridges that would let the three goats cross over the troll that lived under the bridge. The 30 boxes of Lego bricks has completely changed my classroom. It's something we would have never been able to provide as a teacher on my own. And um, just the STEM opportunities and learning opportunities we've had since then has been fantastic.
1: And of course, word got out very quickly to every grade level at that school.
3: Everyone was so excited to see what we brought. And there was an opportunity earlier this fall where Lego Replay was offering bricks again through First Book for no charge. And many teachers, at least one per grade level, participated in getting more Lego bricks for their classrooms.
1: Those Lego bricks were also able to have an even bigger impact on a few specific students at the school.
3: We were actually able to take some of the Lego bricks with our students who were the most in need and may not have those items at home, and may not have the ability to get those items or access to them, we were able to send some boxes home with students. So they had the opportunity to, for the first time, build with Lego bricks at home.
1: Today, every grade level has a set of Lego bricks from the Replay program, and it's had a huge impact on the way the teachers teach and the children learn and interact.
3: Sometimes what gets kids talking is a bucket of Lego bricks in the middle of the table. I love teaching and I love these kind of like sunshine opportunities that you're never expecting, but they show up and they take off and they become something more than you could have ever expected.
2: I love the Lego Replay program.
0: Yeah, you know, to me, obviously it's a reuse program and obviously it's good for the environment, but that's not what I think about. I think about... The fact that it's having this amazing impact on schools and on teachers and then on the kids. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine how awesome it would be to have Lego bricks in your classroom to
2: play with. And they are educational. It works out for everybody.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, when we were chatting with Tim Brooks over at the Lego Group, I actually asked him about this program. Specifically, why would a company spend its own money to get people to donate bricks, clean them up, and then give them to other people? Because obviously that means that they, you know, those people will not be buying bricks.
1: Yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing that he talked about. And I really love Tim's answer on this.
5: Well, it's the right thing to do, but I mean, of course, there's other reasons behind it. Of course, there are. I mean, number one is we wanted to learn a lot more about how people use and reuse Lego bricks. So that was sort of the foundation of it is what happens to a brick when someone's finished playing with it? What kind of condition is it in? How could we clean it up? How could we learn how to do that? How could we ship it off to good causes? Ultimately, we're passionate about keeping the bricks out of landfill in whichever way shape and form we can do it there is no reason why a a healthy lego brick should go into landfill
2: yeah that's the heart of it though right it's like Willy wonka making the everlasting gobstopper. it's a piece of candy that you never have to buy again the lego group makes toys that last generations and they know that and they are grappling with how they can do that in a way that doesn't harm the planet there's just so much to take in when it comes to the LEGO Group's environmentalism and sustainability efforts. So we figured it might be a good idea to talk to somebody outside of the company who has a sort of bird's eye view of the toy industry and understands how impactful the LEGO Group's efforts are in this field.
7: Hey, this is James Zahn. I am Editor-in-Chief of The Toy Book. And The Toy Book is... The leading trade publication covering the toy industry in North America. It's been around since 1984. (laughs) And it's basically uh, been around covering all the toys, games, retail, anything connected to the toy business. And we're just starting our 39th volume this year.
2: James didn't mince words when we asked him how important it is to the toy industry that a company like the Lego Group is pushing so hard on things like building carbon-neutral factories and re-examining its relationship with plastics.
7: I think it's extraordinarily important, not just for the Lego Group, but for the toy industry in general, because even a few years ago, sustainability was a buzzword. Sustainability. Sustainability. And it was a trend. And it's kind of come and go over the last 25 years where we've heard about green toys and eco-friendly and... All of these different initiatives that didn't really catch on for one reason or another. But now we finally crossed over a line where sustainability really isn't a trend anymore. It's just the way that things are going to be. And we're on an accelerated calendar now for when that's all going to happen.
2: From James's perspective, the Lego Group is ahead of that curve. Like they're managing to be proactive around a topic that not all companies are comfortable addressing so directly and frankly complex.
7: It's a massive undertaking across the board because you're talking about changing decades of processes and behaviors and the way you think about every single facet of your business. It's not just making toys. And there are so many different levers that the Lego group has been able to pull to make all of that work. And they're really far ahead of a lot of the major toy makers that are in existence right now when it comes to putting together a plan and executing that plan. And not just meeting that goal, but beating that goal. I think the major say like the top five toy makers in the world, are all very much unified in working towards a goal to do better for the environment.
0: You know, it's funny because as a parent, and a grandparent, Mm. knowing that toy companies are thinking about these things is so important to me. And I love that, obviously the Lego group is doing this, but that the toy industry is doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it feels good knowing,
2: like it's okay to buy toys and it's okay to play with toys, but that the top five toy manufacturers are all worried about the impact on say your grandchild that these toys might have, Brian, I think is a big deal. I think that's good.
0: One of the big things about the LEGO Group is that the people who work there are all sort of encouraged to maintain their childlike views of the world and -hmm. and play. And this idea that they're always, you know, they're still playing, that adults should play and they should keep their minds open. And
5: obviously, children are, are very much at the heart of this company. That's the bit that makes it extra special to be on the sustainability journey, you know. We put the solar panels on the roof of the factories and we make the best, you know, most sustainable materials we can. And that's sort of the day job. But the icing on the cake is the connection with kids. You know, that's what we have, which is unique almost to the Lego brand. And that's what I think really gets my sustainability team and all of our employees here sort of really excited. And it turns out that the Tokyo Express... Now, remember the
0: Tokyo Express? That's the ship that got knocked by a rogue wave. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out it also serves as an inspiration for the company. Oh, yeah. We're back to the act of God. Oh, my
2: gosh. That huge wave, right? And uh, remember when Brian said it had nothing to do with the episode? Yes. But
0: it has everything to do with the episode, right? He lied. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing. The spill was clearly not the LEGO Group's fault. Obviously. But this is a company that worries about the impact their products have on children and our world and how they can do better. So of course, when something happens that coincidentally involves their
5: toys, they're going to remember. It was one container, but it's a very important part of the overall story. It reminds us that those bricks are durable, that they last, you know, a long time, and there's great quality bricks, but they also need to be treated with care. We need to be very conscious of where they go and keep them in play. But it reminds us that it's important that we have programs like Replay that we make sure that bricks can be reused, that we make sure that people understand that they shouldn't go into the, uh, the trash bin, you know, they shouldn't go into the landfill. So um, it's part of the story, it's incredibly unfortunate, but it, it is part of our consciousness when we look at sustainability. It's a reminder that, that we have a responsibility, you know, always towards the planet and towards what we do and our operations. And whether it's within our control, outside of our control, you know, we can make smart choices and that's what my job is all about within the company, helping us make the most sustainable and and smartest choices we can.
1: Bits and Bricks is made possible by The Lego Group. Your hosts today were myself, Ethan Vincent, Brian Crescenti, and Dave Tack. Mixing and engineering by Dan Carlisle, Music by Peter Primer and Founder of Music. Alex Ayling is our editorial and content director at the Lego Group. Kirsty McNamara is lead producer and also oversees content and editorial at the Lego Group. And Carolyn Yang yang is our production manager at the Lego Group. A big thanks to our participants today, which were Tim Brooks,
4: Aaron Simon, Jenna Grubman,
3: Jill Arbini, and
1: James Zahn. For questions and comments, you can write us an email at Lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. Subscribe, share, and stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks.